Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We've obeyed the will of the people. We've taken back the tools of self-government. I thought I was the patron saint of lost causes, and then along came the Daily Express. We got the result we didn't want, and that's it, and we have to accept that. This lesson is, and that we have to learn from Brexit, is to deeply reform the Union. We will always love you, and we will never be far. Long live Europe. Hello and welcome to Brexit The Final Countdown. I'm Becca Hudson, and to confirm, I am not the hedgehog on The Masked Singer I've seen the rumours on Twitter and they're not true. Um, I'm delighted, but perhaps not surprised to be joined by Express.co.uk agitator-in-chief Paul Baldwin. Hello. Hello. And to the best of our Brussels bureau, Joe Barnes. Hello. Hello, hello. Chaps, we have 323 days of the transition period left. We do. So that's one hell of an advent yes. calendar, yes, isn't indeed. it? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe a Christingle candle, yeah, perhaps. No, no we should get a problem with the chocolate behind the door. Oh, that would be lovely. You, could, you can do the catering. Right, okay. We of also course. have 52 days uh, of the Labour Party leadership contest left uh that's just not enough for me i just wish it would go on and on because it's so fascinating it's fascinating it's also the equivalent of one two thousandths of a giant tortoise's lifespan (laughs) (laughs) which i think is doing all the work in that sentence isn't it (laughs) okay chaps there's so much to talk about so let's begin right we should start with brexit shouldn't we because um it is the order That's, of the day. Um, that is the name on the tin of it the is, podcast. It, it, indeed. Um, so Ursula von der Leyen um, has expressed a, her surprise um, that Boris Johnson and the rest of the government have been citing Australia as the model for the post-Brexit trade relationship with the EU, considering, reader or listener, that Australia doesn't have a trade deal with uh, the European Union. They operate on World Trade Organization terms, and they're currently in the process of trying to agree a trade deal with the EU. Lols. Um, so chaos resumes. Uh, she says that whilst they are a minded partner, there is no trade agreement in place. Um, so we didn't talk about this last week, but there was this kind of memo that's come out of number 10 saying that uh, politicians need to stop talking about Brexit and they need to stop using the phrase no deal. And so instead, the new euphemism for no deal is Australia style deal, <laughs> which I think is quite funny. Um, we've also, Joe, do feel free to chime in at any point because this is very much your patch. Uh, just uh, for the record, uh, on express.co.uk, we will not be stopping using the word Brexit. Absolutely not. We will use it as liberally as we have done. And um, yeah, the, the idea that number 10 can somehow control the language the lang- that, exactly. that Britain uses or the press uses or anyone uses is ridiculously Stalinistly mad. Isn't it? And, do- so. and doesn't the old, as soon as you're told not to do something, all you want to do is uh, do so, it. Of course, absolutely. So yeah, all I yeah. want to do is say no deal and Brexit. So Brexit, 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 no deal, no deal. Exactly. You can put it in the, <laughs> swear, Boris. In the swear jar. <laughs> um, and then we've kind of, there are these quotes and these leaks coming out of the EU now, Joe, saying that um, there's just a lot of pessimism and and increasing sense of gloom um, as the negotiations kind of look to resume next month, uh, saying that there's just very little in terms of alignment or agreement between the two parties. And there's this fabulous quote that the Times are running this morning um, that an EU source has said, we're selling a Porsche Cayenne when all the UK wants is a Peel P50. We think a P50, it's a very old-fashioned bubble car from the 1960s. Right, and a Porsche Cayenne is a... A hairdresser's car from the 19... 19- <laughs> 
from the 2000s. <laughs> oh my God, the letters, the letters. Okay. Um, so yeah, just kind of general discord. Um, obviously the big thing is this kind of idea of equivalence or the lack of it in the financial services market. We've seen that Mr. Barnier is saying that you, what was the quote, Joe? You're on another planet or keep dreaming. But the actual, yeah, the actual language um, was, yeah, don't kid yourselves. We will not sign up to what you want us to sign up, which um, kind of Sajid Javid had a, a note snapped as he was walking around Whitehall um, suggesting that Britain wanted kind of an open-ended, long-term, permanent financial services deal when the EU are like, no way, we will retain control of access to our financial markets. And essentially that means that what they can do is at 30-day notice, they can cut access for British banks servicing their European customers. So the City of London are actually quite worried about this because that allows basically Brussels to rule over swathes of their kind of services industry with an iron iron fist and almost use them as a kind of a punishment tool later down the line. They, I, I think the city are saying that anything less than three years is ridiculous, right? So 30 days is clearly ridiculous. It's just... Yeah. yeah. So, so you, you've got so 30 days and 90 days are kind of EU standards. Yeah. And like yeah. the kind of rhetoric we're hearing here and exactly what Barnier said yesterday was like, you could kid yourselves if you think we're moving away from our kind of existing arrangements that we've got with Japan, with America, with Canada, with Australia. They just aren't prepared to do a kind of a bespoke financial services deal especially when they kind of are wanting to go to war with Boris Johnson for moving away from what they see of him agreeing a really close and friendly relationship in the political declaration. Mm. The political declaration is agreed. It's, it's obviously non-binding, but the withdrawal agreement kind of refers back to it and says, look, come on, this is what we've agreed. So the EU are kind of saying, look, you're going back on your word. So um, Michel Barnier said, look, what we're offering is great um, when he was in Luxembourg the other day. Yeah. But what Boris is doing is you're going two or three steps backwards before we've even started the negotiations. Mm. So um, there's genuine, I think there's genuine tensions between both camps. But what we've got to remember is, and I think I mentioned it last week, um, is these are just opening negotiation kind of gambits. Of course, one side is going to be ultra hard. Of course, the other side is going to be ultra hard. We've not even started talking yet. Like That doesn't happen until the first week of March. I, I I think as well maybe that um, I think reality may be biting a little bit over there um, because they're now having to set the budget without the without British cash basically right and not everybody's happy about this. Well, that's what we've been seeing this morning. Is there's been the plenary this morning on yeah. the EU budget and Joe, what have they been saying? I mean, this is it. I mean, there's a huge chunk of British cash something not on the table for the mm. first time in how many hundreds of years, well, decades. Okay, so uh, Ursula von der Leyen, the President of the European Commission, in her kind of opening statement, made clear that, look, this is the first time we're agreeing a budget of 27 countries. We want to be more ambitious. We want to do more. We want to spend more money and help everyone. But we're doing it as 27. We, we are without around, she kind of calculated, 75 billion euros um, missing from Britain over, 70, over, over the seven-year period between 2021 and 2027. Which is quite a lot of money, right? I can say you could you could get from here to about what uh, just north of Birmingham on that sort of money. <laughs> north of Watford, <laughs> but the rate we're burning through cash notes right. too. But on a more serious note, what what's happening is we're seeing a real split in the camps. There's um, a big division between member states and what they want. The Commission wants something, the Council wants something, and the Parliament wants something else. So what we saw this morning was the Parliament kind of saying, "Look, we want to spend 1.3 percent of people's gross national income." So. Mm of country's gross national income on the EU budget. The council is saying no, more like 1.1%, 1, 1 but then a lot of member states are actually saying, no, let's keep it at 1% as it is, because we shouldn't be so foolish to start spending all this money 
when we're losing out on one of the biggest contributors. Mm. I think as well, the, the what, what doesn't sink into your brain, because the difference between 1.1% and 1.3% seems like nothing. But if you're talking about a trillion euro budget, Quite. it's a shed load of cash. And this right? is exactly what Brexit voters have been afraid of and what we've, yeah. everyone's been banging on about for the last three years, is that the EU are only planning on getting bigger and bigger and bigger, aren't they? And spending more and more of EU taxpayers' money. So that's quite, yeah, these these dot point dot percentages are pretty significant in principle and in actual monetary terms. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. So have you seen any interesting divisions in the member states? Are we seeing kind of, you know, so besides people not wanting to part with their hard-earned cash to fund, I don't know, Ursula van der Leyen's vegan cafe or, <laughs> or you know, Ethiopian art initiative, whatever it might be. What, um, are there any kind of interesting, you know, any kind of interesting uh, cracks forming? Are we seeing, you know, this, the first signs of an Italexit or a Pexit? That would be a Polish exit. What other ones are we not? What other, you know, <laughs> any other rumoured exits from the fine block? Yeah, I don't think this budget is going to be the next step triggering Brexit Mark II. But we are seeing some kind of interesting kind of dynamics. France, who's one of the biggest spenders, wants to carry on spending more. But mm. that has put France at odds with a group called the Frugal Five, Germany, Denmark, Sweden, the Netherlands and Austria, um, who wants to cap spending at 1%. So you're seeing kind of the usual German-Franco axis of kind of negotiating again another reason why people voted brexit because there was kind of this parisian and berlin kind of aspect running the eu yeah. yeah they're now they're now split so how does charles michel the european council president how does he marshal this division between kind of the two eu heavyweights angela merkel and emmanuel macron when they hold their um, emergency summit next week mm. so we're kind of seeing these divides are going to be fascinating mm. you can understand why there are kind of such deep divisions. I was just looking around this morning and saying the, looking at the uh, um, Visegrad group, the Eastern European states, and uh, yeah. the Czech Republic, the, the income per capita is about 75% that of Germany. So, not, you know, not, this, this is not a skint country. And yet it, if, if it essentially pays nothing into the EU. Right. Whereas the Germans clearly pay shed loads of cash, they're the biggest net contributor. Right. And you kind of think, how how. How is that right for a start? Right, but also, you could see why it could rankle a little bit in, uh, you know, downtown Dusseldorf. Absolutely. Oh my gosh! And then notoriously talking about, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I you mean, know, it rankled. It, it rankled here, didn't yeah, it? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it, that's the kind of thing that it, it, led put, to Brexit. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. When you put it in those really stark terms, yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. you've got countries that are really not yeah. impoverished. Yeah. Um, and then you would obviously make the case that there is uh, there is a case for investment and recirculating the wealth within, across Europe because it ultimately benefits everyone. But that isn't the case at all, like you're saying no. here. Um, the, the other thing that I thought was interesting was uh, it's just, just broken now about the, uh, I think it's called the Cohesion Fund, Joe, which is the, the... Where did you do all this research? I don't... When did... Where has this all come from? This is incredible. <laughs> it's I like I'm at a lecture. I'm just do my job, ma'am. Um <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. What's the cohesion group? The cohesion fund is, is um, it's existed for um, you know, probably since the dawn of the EU, and, and it's basically uh, it's dressed up in a different way, but it's basically cash that you pay to countries to to uh, ease their uh, to, to bring, help bring them together to help you know coalesce the EU. Basically, right. Ireland was a massive um, recipient, benefit, yeah, beneficiary years ago. Right, that's why they love the EU massively. A little bit less today because it's been cut back drastically. Island. But yeah, yeah. But right. 20, 15, 20 years ago, you couldn't move in Ireland for um, EU projects, building projects, Gosh. all funded by the EU. Yeah. The Celtic Tiger came out of that that investment, right? When the when the Irish economy sort of took off and became a, a you know a real force to reckon with. 
Um, and and I'm sure, you know, everyone was very pleased about that. But um, the, the, there are four mayors of, of major cities, which are Bratislava, Budapest, Prague and Warsaw, who are saying we need some the of this cash. The mini-break four, well, we call those. <laughs> but they're saying we need some of this cash to fight populism. Now, that oh, is not no, what no, the cohesion no. fund is there No, for. and that's like mind control. We're, that's not, using mind control. We're not using that's, it to suppress a, exactly. legitimate yeah. debate. If oh, they, no. You know, so if they pull that off, that's another, you know... The Brexiteers will be saying, well, we told you so. We, we said it was a sort of Stalinist totalitarian project. And look. We're just going to use it to sort of smudge yeah. out various bubbles across the continent yeah. that we don't yeah. agree with. Um, grief. But, um, grief. This, this, this has raised quite a funny point, though, because one of the other kind of groups um, in the budget debate is called, they're called the Friends of Cohesion. Okay. And, um, <laughs> it's kind of all organised by <laughs> Portugal and a guy called Antonio Costa, socialist uh, prime minister. Um, and... He organised a Friends of Cohesion summit and they okay. went and they travelled. Everyone flew in their like private jets and so and so to all land together and have it in a kind of a luxurious banquet hall um, at the city. It's held in, I think, probably Lisbon. Right. Um, but it kind of escapes me. But then the Frugal Five, they had their kind of group <laughs> meeting and they did it all by <laughs> Skype. Sandwiches and brown air. <laughs> on Skype. Oh. <laughs> but that's interesting, isn't it? That, that's, that kind of, that's a brilliant practical sort of. Um, the illustration, yeah, you can see yeah. the kind of, yeah, the luxurious five-star hotel being yeah. rented out yeah. for the Friends of Cohesion or whatever yeah, they're called. <laughs> and then the, and then, and then the sensible know, ones. Yeah, just swimming in money, just, you know, <laughs> gold coins and doubloons. The last all days of Rome. Oh, goodness. I mean, yeah. it, maybe with a little bit of distance from this body, we there will be even widespread acknowledgement in this country of just how wasteful some parts of the EU have been. I mean, this is, that's an impossible yeah. However you much the, uh, you love the EU. Yeah, I mean, that's like, impossible to justify, isn't it? It's a huge, sprawling, massive kind yeah. of public body and, and the nature of huge, sprawling, massive public bodies is they piddle money away. Yeah, quite. Although I would quite fancy a long weekend in Lisbon. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound quite delicious. I fear we might be the frugal too. The frugal <laughs> yeah, we're definitely the frugal too. Um, oh, okay. So the, so the budget kind of continues. We think probably not the, today isn't the day to spark Brexit too, like you're saying, across the continent. But this is the, this, these sorts of plenaries are so interesting for keen EU observers like ourselves to kind of keep an eye on what the bloody hell that bloated organisation is up to and what the sort of various member states are thinking. No, definitely. It's, it's kind of, it's not this budget is going to be a massive row, but it's not the straw that breaks the camel's back. They will come to some sort of budget compromise. But what these is these divisions between even between like the council, the parliament, and the commission are all at odds with each other about how the budget should be set. Mm. So it's these kinds of divisions which will break out. And does Poland suffer? Um, does it cope? Because Poland is a massive benefactor from cohesion funding, and there is talk um, that some member states want cohesion funding based on. Um, you can only receive it if you respect kind of EU rules. And we see Hungary and Poland have all been subject to kind of Article 7 yeah. procedures, yeah. which is the way of basically Brussels saying, you're not listening to our rules, we're going to investigate you, we're going to warn you, we're going to give you a chance to reply. But ultimately, if you don't listen to us, we're going to cut you out from what could be spending, but voting rights and so and such. It's instructive that in Brussels they are not shy of... Um you know, bringing in the big guns when they need to and, and going in hard on member states who step out of line, right? We're seeing it more increasingly, I think. That's exactly it, especially, especially in these countries, um, which is possibly one of the reasons that Poland and Hungary wouldn't vote to leave immediately is because they are massive recipients of kind of EU cash. But there are the kind of the likes of Germany, like the Netherlands, like kind of the influential kind of countries going, hang on, we're sending these loads and loads of money. 
and they're not following EU rules. Mm. So can you do something about it? And Brussels kind of has to take no. Because um, how can you when you've got the kind of the big the big guns who are paying in cash? Yeah. The uh, connect contributors. And you, observing you the rules. To them at yeah. some point. Yeah. yeah. Chaps. Could I encourage you to buy a ticket and board a high-speed railway with me? <laughs> Beautiful as segue. We, as we leave Brussels. <laughs> Almost seamless. You can see the join. <laughs> as we prepare to leave Brussels and speed our way into domestic policy because yesterday HS2, perhaps the crowning glory and one of the many infrastructure projects that we know Boris Johnson gets incredibly excited about, um, has been confirmed. It has. Uh, which is just mega, isn't it? It's... Uh, it's uh, huge. It's taken 10 years. Andrew Adonis was talking about this in 2009. Do you know what he's saying a lot more than that? In 2007, oh. the Labour Party, who were HS2 fans, said, we've got this great plan, and in uh, this, we've got this great plan for a train line called mm. HS2, which will cost £7 uh, billion. Pounds, yeah, and, we'll be, and Birmingham and will a bit be, would already be done. And it yeah. will be open in 2019. Yeah. So, oh. uh, <laughs> if anyone doesn't think this project's going to go over budget and be late... They're insane because yeah. it already is. <laughs> so, uh, so what's it? So obviously, trains are interesting, and uh, transport is also really interesting. But what I think is particularly interesting about this is that is this the new Brexit? Because it does seem to have divided the Tory party um, in a bit. It has. It has been a pretty divisive issue, hasn't well, it's it? Interesting, you should say that. It's almost like we spoke about it. <laughs> yeah. Not, well, no, because uh, this morning I carried out a very scientific, extensive survey of the north of England. Oh, my um, God, from Brighton. Not, <laughs> I, rang, I rang my dad up. And he'd been in the pub last night talking about it. And uh, I, I, I texted a few mates. And you may have gathered I'm not actually from Brighton or London. Um, and the, and the, the, the very unscientific view from the north is two things. One, um, we'd rather have the roads sorted out and um, simply more carriages and better carriages on the existing network and the existing network. I think we spoke about this before. A lot of lines that were smashed to pieces in the beaching report in the 60s. We'll have those reopened again. And I think they are trying to reopen one line into Fleetwood, which begs quite a lot of questions. But um, Fleetwood gets a lot of airtime in this podcast. If we were regulated by Ofcom, we'd get into so much trouble for lack of regional diversity. No, I agree. Give them a train station. Um, Give them a mayor. But the other thing that uh, everyone is... Nervous, well, not nervous about, uh, a, a bit angry about up north is that it seems, uh, and it's yet to be absolutely borne out, that the um, the HS2 trains will travel at the speed of a rocket from London to about Birmingham when they will suddenly start travelling at the speed of Stevenson's rocket <laughs> and a man will stand in front of the train waving a red flag all the way up to Preston and beyond. Right? And a uh, it, it's it's something to do with it's something to do with spending on the on the, on the track infrastructure that um, south of Birmingham will have super amazing bullet trains, but then they will <laughs> grind to a to a you know a trundling halt. So the one hundred and six billion pounds Absolutely. of taxpayer money is not even going to keep it high speed. Well, the also whole time, the, a big subtext of this is yeah. Boris's um, big plan to um, you know create a level playing field. He keeps using that phrase yes. in, across the country and in the north. Up. Um, and obviously it's not going to work, is it? Well, no, you if can't. That, if that is borne out, and suddenly you're on either the engine by the time you get to, you know, no. um, Chorley. <laughs> that was glorious. Uh, um, I suppose it's also an environmental concern, isn't it? So Jeremy Corbyn yesterday was saying that this, and in fact the Greens have also been making the same the, the same argument, that um, 
this the the sort of HS2 will not take people off the roads and off aeroplanes enough to justify its cost or the damage it's going to do to the beautiful English countryside and kind of and the sort of ecological crisis that it's going to cause. Um, so there's so there's a lot. You know, this isn't this kind of. I mean, it, obviously, it's going to be the first domestic intercity line ever to be built to be built here in over a century. It's the largest infrastructure project in Europe ever. Uh, yeah, huge. Yeah. Um, but it, but this idea of it being a silver bullet to sort of solving our connectivity yeah. issues between north and south probably isn't true either, is it? Uh, I have to say, I'm, I'm hugely conflicted about it personally because yeah. the, there's a, the optimist in me thinks. Um, I, I think Boris has got an idea of himself as um, as a sort of British FDR. A, a Roosevelt figure, and and I think, and uh, you know, Roosevelt got the the um, the angst out of the depression by creating massive public um, public works yeah. like the Hoover Dam, like the interstates, blah blah blah. The New Deal, right? And the New Deal, yeah. absolutely. And and I think Boris has got in the, in his mind that he's going to be that's going to be his legacy that he's going to create these. I think he started with HS two, but I think don't rule out. The, what seems to be the lunatic bridge across the Irish Sea. I was going to ask, that was my that next question. That could be a thing. Um, and, you know, there may, there may be good reasons for it. And, I, and there's a bit of me, the, the kind of the, uh, the optimist that thinks, well, that's quite exciting and good, good. I yeah, like it, you know. Okay. People probably said, a, a tunnel beneath the channel. Well, they did. they did. We did also near the English you know. Channel. Um, I mean, this was so obviously HS2 was confirmed today, along with five billion pounds worth of capital investment over the course of this Parliament to provide better bus services and cycle routes around the UK. Um, Because outside of London, I mean, you can appreciate this as someone from sort of the back and beyond in Brighton. Um, the you know it, tra- transport infrastructure just isn't it just isn't we, good we have enough. sedan chairs in Brighton mainly. well you yeah. do darling yeah. um, and then you have the surfs and then <laughs> that's all very strict yes. um, but place. yeah kind of outside of outside of London buses are just massively infrequent and unreliable and people rely people yeah. truly well, rely on um, public transport a, a huge um, hugely huge numbers of people travel on buses much much more than trains and much um, you right know. so uh, increasing improving the bus service is a is a very good idea yeah. and, and, you know very few people would say that's a bad a, idea yeah, and then if we're also kind of on everyone's case about driving and we're going to start kind of slashing these hybrid cars and stuff we then it's really important so i kind of agree with you um but it's definitely highlighted some mega divisions in in the tory party hasn't it for every for every yeah. Sajid Javid, there's, uh, there's, there's a Andrew a of, Bridgen. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's it's a massive project and there's a lot of nimbyism because it's going to cause quite a bit of upheaval. Uh, the you know the actual length and breadth of the country because yeah, you know it's because that's what it is. It's a railway line running the length and breadth of the country. So you know, sorry guys, but um, but there, there is. I mean, there's a there's a bit of me that thinks I I travel up to Preston quite a bit out of uh, um, Houston and. King's Cross, and, and you can get there in two and a quarter hours. And, and I never felt I needed to get to Preston any quicker than that, to be honest. Or get away from it quicker. <laughs> but um, I do I do concede that I think um, the, the population of Britain is getting bigger and we are moving back increasingly to trains. And somehow, whether it's HS2 or another way, we do need to increase the capacity. Yeah. Um, or, or it will be, you know, in 20 years' time, it'll be hell on wheels exactly hell, hell on wheels no, that, that's an that's a really important point that paul's just made wow so the west coast main <laughs> that's the first that, 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 stretch, that stretches from london euston to glasgow edinburgh waverley uh via liverpool manchester birmingham was a line that was basically made in the victorian age and it serves commuter trains freight trains high speed trains sleeper trains um you just can't have that many trains on a line yeah and the reason yeah. that kind of that it was virgin now it's been taken over by someone else um the kind of the intercity route 
Um, it's getting so expensive. It's up to about 175 quid for a walk-up ticket any time. Yeah, that is something um, they need to, to sort to out. Yeah. That's because they've not been able to run enough trains on that line because they simply can't. You have to leave so much space behind a, a slow commuter train before you start running running high-speed yeah, trains through yeah. because trains can't overtake each other. So as soon as you free up, kind of you take the high-speed element off of the West Coast main line, that can then turn into like this gold-plated commuter line with extra trains so you don't have crowded trains in between like Birmingham and Wolves or yeah, yeah. Birmingham and so-and-so. And then you start running the high-speed line on its own. You can suddenly run more high-speed trains at less of a cost for passengers. So actually, if you take into context the capacity on a Victorian line at the moment and put it onto like a newfangled high-speed super Japanese bullet train style line, you can run more high-speed trains at lesser cost, yeah. and then you can run more commuter trains at lesser cost. So cheaper tickets all round. Happy days. Trade and trains. <laughs> Please, listeners, stick with us today. Um, just one thing to you, Paul, before we move off the trains, yeah. unfortunately. Uh, obviously, Boris Johnson was the one answering the questions rather than Transport Secretary Grant Shapps yesterday, and you have been on his case a bit for not being visible. I wondered if you thought that that was... Uh, he'd, he'd found his heart. No, I think, I think he wants to take credit for this. Oh, That's why okay. It harks back to what I was saying before, that I think he... He's already, he's only been in the half an hour, but he's thinking about his legacy yeah. as one of the finest prime ministers this country's ever seen, blah, blah, blah. Right. blah it blah. played well yeah. yesterday, though. I, you'd have seen this morning the Times, the Telegraph, kind of previously HS2 sceptical papers have been very, uh, have kind of been brought around to it. So it has it landed well for him. Probably, yeah. yeah. You may have read um, about HS2 or heard about it on the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> Can I invite you chaps to park this conversation in the railway park car park? And, okay. And let's talk about the, the BBC. Silence. No, indeed, yes. Because, uh, Paul, you were very keen to talk about the BBC this morning when we went through the running order of the podcast. I Only, only that I was slightly... Incensed is probably a bit... Um, no, I, I, I was kind of no, incensed. you were incensed. Was, <laughs> you were so red in the face. thought something had happened. Uh, I was reading about... Um, uh, so, I think he's a surgeon, Sir David Clementi. Clementi, yeah. He was the chairman of the BBC, mm. and he was uh, constructing an argument, as he would, for retaining the £154 licence fee, flat fee, in, in the face of what seems to me to be a technical revolution which has been going on for the last 25 years, and the BBC's fallen a bit behind, basically. Uh, and his argument was that um, it, just, it, just, it was so self-aggrandising and so... Um, I mean, God, doesn't he flatter himself? Was was all I could <laughs> think. Um, and he, he was coming out with phrases like a, a diminished BBC is a weakened United Kingdom. And I'm thinking, no, it's not. It's just one less episode of Strictly Come Dancing, isn't it? It's, it's, you know what <laughs> I mean? Just because you have such cerebral, highbrow tastes. <laughs> no, I, I like anyone under the age of about 86. I have various options like Netflix and Amazon Prime and... Even YouTube, mm. although I'm slightly too old to watch YouTube, but um. I, I, I would love to try and watch you navigate YouTube. Um, no, but but uh, my son watches YouTube all the time. He doesn't watch much TV at all, that, and that generation does. And but there was, what else did he say? Another one that really annoyed me. Uh, no other national asset has the potential to serve Britain so powerfully. And I thought, well, I don't know, maybe the army or the navy, maybe. <laughs> Even the Foreign Office, yeah, you know, but, not in but the no, battle, the not, BBC. Not in the battle for hearts and minds. Um, so, so this so this impassioned speech um, that he's going to make in Salford yeah. kind of is the back is kind of the background to that is that uh, there is a 
a sense that number 10 are waging war on the BBC. So there's the rumours that they're going to decriminalise not paying your TV licence, which obviously is currently a, an, yeah. an offence. And if it's not criminalised, then it means obviously the BBC's budget would be reduced because people won't be obliged to pay in the same way that they currently are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, we know that uh, Dominic Cummings and Number 10 have kind of are boycotting some of the flagship programmes that the BBC put out, including yeah. the Radio 4 Today programme. So there's this kind of, there's some background noise to these comments, aren't there, that they feel a little bit under threat. Um, and you're right, he has come out with this kind of, um, very, you know, impassioned defence of yeah. uh, Gavin and Stacey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it all feels trapped in the 1950s, you know. I mean, the, the business model of the BBC is pushing 100 years old now. Mm. And things have moved on a little bit. Since Lord Reith. I mean, he suggests that by putting things behind a paywall, so that the Netflix model would therefore mean that they wouldn't be able to invest in kind of the incredible journalism that the BBC is renowned for. So those those shows like the Today programme, Newsnight, Panorama, unfortunately the Victoria Derbyshire show, which they're getting rid of, which I'll never understand. Um, that it doesn't that that wouldn't it, it doesn't I allow think, them to do I know, that. I'm not alone that they were making a massive point about uh, trying to make high profile um, Cost redundancies, time, yeah. right? There's, it's like what we're saying about huge sprawling public bodies. There's still a lot of fat on the BBC. And, and a lot of it probably goes unnoticed. And absolutely, I totally agree. You, you could probably get rid of entire swathes of departments and not notice you know, um, a, a, any sort of impact on actual programming. Well, they all want their cars, don't they? They want to get their various kind of morning cars to the studios. And well, I'm sure there's lots of, of expenses. Of course, absolutely. Yeah, that that's that sort of thing, yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, and again, you're saying that, um, you know, the BBC has the, the ability to bring the country together when things like, you know, Britain does quite well in the Euros, or, or, sorry, England yeah. does quite well in the Euros. But it's not Royal the BBC, Weddings, it's the England football team that brings the country together. Yeah, they're, they're, you, you can't take the credit for that. All you do is stick a camera in front of it. You know, and it's just it's just so self-aggrandising. And it just I'll tell you something else as well. Yeah. Netflix today, <laughs> God, God bless them, have announced it's going to be three quid a month. Um, a, a saving, right? And no, wow. a, new, a new deal. Well, you can join. You can sign oh. up for Netflix. So, right? um, not big, massive advocate of Netflix. Just there are other, other, you know, um, well, like other, other streaming providers are available. Blah blah blah. But um, well, that's thirty six quid a year for quite a lot of stuff. Right. Uh, on demand, mm. and, uh, and and the BBC is one hundred fifty four pounds something a yeah. year. And send your and send and your granny to prison. You if could she doesn't go to prison it. if yeah. you don't pay it. It's oh, just yeah. it's just. It's anachronistic, is what it is. I, I mean, I agree. I think maybe it was a slightly war fight on the beaches speech. Um, yeah, and probably taking credit rather for the Olympic success. Yeah, absolutely. And 2012 yeah, yeah. is maybe not yeah, yeah. under the yeah. BBC's purview. Yeah. Um, I'm glad we got some BBC bashing done there. That's We're really sort of ticking the boxes today, aren't we? We're very on message. <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't dislike the BBC. I, I dislike the pomposity of the it pom- I completely you know? agree. Yeah, the, the BBC does, does do great work. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I don't think we need... David Clementi. No, I don't think we do either. Uh, doing that, he's not helping them. Um, well, tonight, actually, on the BBC, will be the Labour Party's um, first live national debate. Uh, so Rebecca Long-Bailey, Keir Starmer, Lisa Nandy and Emily Thornbury are going head-to-head. This will be the best comedy. On, no, I think it'll be fantastic. Oh, do you think it will yeah, be? Yeah, I think it'll be the, the, the best comedy you'll watch tonight, for sure. Um, and it comes in the wake of the two reports as well. Yeah. Or the, the Lord Ashcroft's well, report. Oh, yeah, which we'll talk about, because that's quite interesting. Um I mean, it's kind of, you know, um, it was nobody's fault, certainly not Jeremy's. Lord Ashcroft um, yeah. has written this report on the, the Labour Party failure in 2019's election, uh, saying that it was the worst result since 1935 um, due to... Jeremy Corbyn's unpopularity. Yes, I mean, yeah. I mean, all that money and t- it's taken him that long to work that out. I don't know how much he spent on this, but he interviewed ten thousand people. Ten thousand people, and that's what he and, and apparently Corbyn was seen as weak, 
indecisive, lacking in patriotism, had apparent terrorist sympathies, failed to deal with anti-Semitism, was excessively left-wing and unsuitable to lead the country. I mean, I could have done that. Yeah, I mean, I How think we did could... he not win? With all that going for him. <laughs> I mean... How did he not walk? What a Tinder the, bio. I thought, yeah. I thought the, the, what, the top line of that um, the 10,000 people survey was... Let me just read it. Hang on. Yeah. Uh, the main reason was, quote... I did not want Jeremy Corbyn to be Prime Minister. That's the reason <laughs> With blinding clarity. Blinding clarity. I mean, how they've turned this into such a science, I don't understand. It was pretty obvious who was being rejected on the doorstep in uh, 2019, wasn't it? What, um, what is scary, and you'll see it tonight, uh, is that nobody's learned anything. This is the, It's the lack of remorse, oh, isn't it? Or it's the, understanding. It's the navel-gazing, heads-up-the-bums yes. type... Um, you know, the, the the Labour Party will not move forward until it recognises just what a flip-up it made of the last election mm. and that it needs to go back to basics. And, and I've said before, the, this, this idea that the within the Labour Party saying we don't want to go back to the days of Blair is mm. just insane. Yes, you do. He was in number 10. He had, he had power Three, to affect change. Otherwise, you just... Three yeah, electoral um, victories, yeah. Uh, yeah, but they were the, they were the dark old days, remember? Um, <laughs> yeah. Apparently, so kind of people who deserted them in December described the party as being for the for students, the radical middle class, and the unemployed. That's what they see the Labour Party as representing, and I kind of I understand what they mean by that. Not a million miles off. Yeah, it? like sort of metropolitan quinoa yeah. munchers, yeah, yeah. a bunch of left wing comedians on Twitter, yeah. and and people who truly need. Yeah. Um, lots of support from the yeah. state, yeah, yeah. which is a weird cocktail party, really, isn't it? If you if that was a wedding, <laughs> if that was a wedding, you'd have them all on different tables. You probably wouldn't mix those yeah. three groups up. So You're I don't know how right. you represent them in and win a majority, appeasing to all three of them. You, you accept that you can't continue to be. Um, you can't have this party run by students, which it is. Um, I'm afraid um, the days of Uncle Carl are over. The 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 sort of ideological clash between capital and labour is is so over. Yeah. All, all you've got now is two centrist parties and uh, a bit of common sense, and you need to move towards the centre and have a bit of common sense if you ever want to get voted for in this country. Put your Che Guevara t-shirt in the drawer. Yeah, totally, I'm afraid, yeah. Use it yeah. to bleed the radiator. Don't yeah. wear, don't yeah, yeah, wear yeah, it yeah. to win elections. I completely agree. Um, one final thing. Would you like Rory Stewart to come and sleep at your house in a sleeping <laughs> bag with a box of chocolates? Joe, you're invited. I'm asking you too. Have you seen this, Joe? <laughs> I, I have. I did actually um, try and encourage Rory Stewart to walk to Brussels during the Conservative leadership race. He does love he walking. Kindly, <laughs> kindly, he kindly rejected the notion <laughs> of her coming to... He should have said he could keep on myself and he'd been there in his shop. Yeah, exactly. So this is Rory Stewart, <laughs> who um, failed to secure the late, Tory late leadership uh, last year. He's now running as the independent candidate for London Mayor against Sadiq Khan. Um, and he's launching the campaign Come Kip With Me, where he's asking Londoners to have him sleep on their sofa. I'll bring a sleeping bag and a box of chocolates, he promises. If, I mean, it, it how feels to terrifying. Me like he's having a mental breakdown in public. It's or he's just that with his wife. So, oh, without somebody, <laughs> somebody said he tweeted, is everything all right at home, yeah, Rory? Like... <laughs> I thought it was good. Um, and also, he said himself uh, last night, he added, I've already stayed with a young man on a council estate in Lambeth. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing your own time, Rory? It's no concern of ours. Careers but... have been destroyed <laughs> over things like that. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, would you want to wake up with Rory Stewart sort of prattling around your kitchen? 
Because I feel like he doesn't sleep for very long. <laughs> well, we've got the um, uh, kitchen still to a bit like the ones on the Sky TV show. Oh, so you? you'd have him sat in that weird slanty we, style, yeah. taking his tie off, I suspect. Oh, we'd uh, take his tie yeah, off. Yeah, you wouldn't really want that, would you? Put you no. for cornflakes. No, and I don't feel like he's a man who indulges in chocolate, so I imagine there'd be a lot of shame <laughs> if you sort of helped yourself to a second, <laughs> you know, whatever, coconut no, the it's the... Uh, and there are many, but it's the most bonkers political story of the day, that, for my money. God, God loves a trier, but um, I, I'm inclined to agree. I think it's time, um, it's time you threw in the towel, I'm afraid, Rory. Yeah, I wonder what no. you'd be better suited to. Squatting? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, what? I, 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 he's such a curious character. He's, like, really little, yeah. got this cerebral brain, loves opium. I mean... He, I didn't know he loved opium. What was it he did? He smoked it at that wedding, didn't he? Oh, he did, you're right. Yeah. You're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so he's sort of, you know, a bit of a bohemian spirit. Yeah. He loves trees. Just just your average Tory cabinet. Yeah. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Completely bananas. Okay, fine. Well, so if any of you wake up with Rory Stewart, it wasn't because you invited him. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's broken in. Um, what a weird old week it's been in politics. It was Such indeed, a weird yes. uh, running order of stuff. We've touched on uh, the EU, the EU budget, HS2, the Labour Party. We've done some BBC bash- bashing. Everything covered. Joe Barnes, we will see you next week. See you next week. Take care of yourself. Thanks, Paul Baldwin, on, 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 on a privilege, okay. always. Ta-ra, ta-ra. 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 Well done for making it to the end of an episode of Brexit, The Final Countdown. If you're still enjoying the countdown, you can subscribe for free. And if you're really enjoying the countdown, you can also leave us a review.